With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. Hello. Thank you to all of the media for being here today to discuss this essential issue. If you were on Capitol Hill on Wednesday afternoon, you would have witnessed a slightly weird press conference. A few congressmen, Jamal Bowman from New York, Mark Pocan from Wisconsin, and Robert Garcia from California, and about 30 TikTok creators. I am Grace Amaku. Um, my TikTok handle is at Grace underscore Africa, and I'm 27 years old. Yeah, turn up. They were trying to push back against the growing momentum in Congress and the Biden administration for a TikTok ban. Grace uses TikTok to share her stand-up comedy. Hello, I am Good evening. Uh, I know that you uh, want to uh, ban TikTok. <laughs> and a ban would blow it all up. I'd lose a lot of my followers and from there a lot of my revenue. Um, because of TikTok, I have been able to move from Houston, Texas to L.A. Um, to further pursue my passion in entertainment. And therefore, would I be able to pay the rent? <clears throat> but it doesn't look like the long-running drama of TikTok versus the United States will get resolved amicably. Here we go. The committee will come to order. Shochu, the company's CEO spent Thursday fielding angry questions from members of Congress about whether TikTok is a national security risk and whether the data of its 150 million American users is safe from the Chinese government. Mr. Chu, you are here because the American people need the truth about the, th the threat TikTok poses to our national and personal security. TikTok collects nearly every data point imaginable from people's location to what they type and copy, who they talk to, biometric data, and more. He was in full contrition mode. Our approach has never been to dismiss or trivialize any of these concerns. We have addressed them with real action. Now that's what we've been doing for the last two years, building what amounts to a firewall that seals off protected U.S. user data from unauthorized foreign access. That sounds reasonable. But more and more, it seems like there is no way this story ends without a ban or without TikTok being sold. So today on the show, the case against TikTok. What's the U.S. government so afraid of? And should it be? I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. 
That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. When I knew we were going to talk about TikTok this week, there was only one person I wanted to hear from. Someone who has reported deeply on the company. And you're going to hear more about this in a little bit. Has also been tracked by TikTok. My name is Emily Baker-White. I am a senior writer at Forbes, and for the past year and change, I have been covering TikTok. One of the things Emily has been watching is the building momentum for a TikTok ban. The government's concerns are generally twofold. One, that Americans' data could be shared with the Chinese government. And two, that TikTok's algorithm could be used to influence people, say, during an election. The Trump administration tried to ban TikTok in 2020, but was defeated in court, and the idea seemed to subside. Over the past few years, TikTok and a Treasury Department committee, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, also known as CFIUS, began negotiating a compromise to allow TikTok to keep operating in the U.S. But lately, it seems like those negotiations have stalled. And TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, might be forced to divest, a.k.a. sell it. When would you say the tide started to turn toward divestment or an outright TikTok ban? I think there are a couple of important moments. Definitely the introduction of Mark Warner's bill, the Restrict Act, was a pretty big moment. The bill very quickly gained a lot of support on both sides of the aisle and also support directly from the White House. And that was a pretty big sign. But I think a bigger moment even was last week when TikTok told the media that CFIUS, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, was saying that ByteDance needed to divest from TikTok or face a potential ban, a full ban, not just a ban on government devices, but a ban for everyone in the United States. And CFIUS and TikTok have been negotiating for years now. The fact that CFIUS was making this demand, I think, really changes the stakes for TikTok here because for months they had been saying to sort of members of Congress, senators who were talking about banning TikTok, oh, You don't need to ban TikTok. All the government needs to do is sign this national security agreement that we've been negotiating. And all of a sudden, it sounds like the government isn't about to sign that national security agreement, which sort of puts TikTok in a very different posture. As you mentioned, this has been going on for years. Um, Do we know what changed for the government? One big moment was when I learned from a source inside the company 
that a team at ByteDance wanted to pull my TikTok data in order to try to figure out who was sourcing me. And we reported a story about that in October, but we had to keep the details really vague. We didn't say who they were planning to surveil or why, which... Just some people. Made that story really hard to uh, to explain. But TikTok and ByteDance began an investigation after that story to try to figure out why we said that was true. And they later confirmed what I knew but hadn't been able to say, which was that this was part of a leak investigation that that was targeting me. And the fact that my specific U.S. user data was pulled by a team that was partially based in China showed that individual U.S. users' IP addresses, which gives an approximation of location, could be pulled by people in China. And I think that um, we now know that the DOJ and FBI are investigating. And I think that was definitely uh, a turning point for some lawmakers. And I don't know if it influenced the CFIUS decision or not. Well, this is one of the reasons I, I wanted to talk to you, because in a lot of these previous conversations about TikTok, there's sort of the vague phrase, national security concerns. And it, and it can be really hard to parse out, like, what is political posturing, what might be anti-China sentiment, and what is real. And I think we know from your case that this data can, in fact, be found. Um, how did you know that they were tracking you? I really can't tell you very much more about that. Um, I learned about the investigation from a source inside the company and was eventually able to review internal company materials about it that sort of further established that this was happening. And it was you and a couple other reporters, right? Yeah. So what we saw specified, me and two of my colleagues, Rich Neva and Catherine Schwab, TikTok and ByteDance in their investigation apparently also found that the data of a Financial Times reporter named Christina Criddle had been pulled as well. And she had had written um, some investigative reporting about the company um, in Europe, which I guess had led them to investigate leaks to her as well. One of the concerns that, that lawmakers float is that, you know, their fear is also because of this national security law in China that, that the Chinese government can request information from a company if it wants to. Like, I guess is the theoretical chain that if the Chinese government wanted to request, say, your data, I'm, I'm playing in theoreticals here, that they could. That's definitely the concern. And TikTok has said repeatedly that they wouldn't give that information over, that they're not a Chinese company, they're not beholden to the Chinese government, and they wouldn't turn it over. I think the follow-up question there is, do people at ByteDance have that information? And would ByteDance turn over that information to the Chinese government? And I don't think we've heard an answer to that question directly from ByteDance, despite having heard it from TikTok a lot of times. The way TikTok is structured is complicated. The CEO is in Singapore. Its chief operating officer is in the U.S., as are many employees. But what Emily says is most important here is the relationship between TikTok and its parent company, ByteDance. She says the boundaries between the two are porous. There are a lot of companies that own other companies that are just sort of corporate owners, and they don't really play a role in the day-to-day -day management of the company. But at least the the employees that I've talked to at TikTok and ByteDance do not describe that as the type of ownership arrangement that TikTok and ByteDance have. 
My understanding is that the companies work very, very, very closely internally to the point that some people aren't even entirely sure which company they work for. So like I've talked to people who signed contracts with TikTok, but say they've received paychecks or like W-2s from ByteDance. And so all all of TikTok employees' uh, communications go through an internal sort of version of Slack or Microsoft Teams called Lark, which is a ByteDance product. They use a VPN, which called Seal, which is a ByteDance product. And TikTok was at first just one of many apps that ByteDance created. ByteDance is known as an app factory. Um, they've had a lot of successful apps, both in China and internationally. And so TikTok was built as a part of ByteDance. And I think that's still very visible if you look at sort of how business is done on the inside. In his testimony to Congress, Shochu said the people who targeted Emily were a bunch of bad apples who have since been investigated and fired. Um, We do not condone the effort by certain former employees to access U.S. uh, TikTok user data in an attempt to identify the source of leaked confidential information. We took swift disciplinary action against employees who were found to be involved and are implementing measures to make sure this doesn't happen again. The company did not have to launch an internal investigation and it did not have to tell the world about the results of it. And they did that. And I think that's like a sign of good faith that we should acknowledge. It also, to me, showed that TikTok and ByteDance's access controls were not as strong as they thought they were because it was possible for someone to pull an individual's data in this way. Now, I don't really care that much if like TikTok and ByteDance employees know where I like to get my coffee. I wish they didn't have the IP address of my house, like, but it's okay. If I were a Chinese dissident living abroad, a member of a Western military, or someone else who like really has something to fear, I think I would feel differently. Like I don't feel unsafe in my home, but I can imagine a set of facts under which I, I would feel that way. It sounds like they understood this particular way that data could flow to employees abroad and could be misused, and they closed that loophole. The question is, are there parallel loopholes elsewhere in the TikTok and ByteDance system? And I don't know that there are, but if I worked for TikTok and ByteDance and were trying to, you know, secure people's data, I'd be really concerned about making sure that I understood all the teams that have this access everybody who who might be using it for for what they think is a business purpose. And like, I think the people investigating leaks, it's their job to investigate leaks. And so it sort of was a business purpose. But generally, surveilling individual reporters is like not a good look. And so are there other sort of edge cases where people may be doing their jobs? They may not think what they're doing is nefarious, but, but could it put people's data at risk? Maybe. And I think like that is the challenge for the company is making sure that there are no other such cases. Part of Shochu's challenge is to to try to explain and and sort of put forth his data siloing plan to, to lawmakers. And this is all based on this thing called Project Texas that has been the centerpiece of TikTok's plan to convince CFIUS and the U.S. government that their U.S. operations are, are safe. I wonder if you could explain Project Texas to me. So Project Texas is a huge initiative that people at TikTok and ByteDance have been working on for well over a year now. And the theory behind it is that TikTok and ByteDance want to find a way to basically sequester U.S. data in 
secure data centers within the United States and have that data managed and overseen by a U.S.-based team, which they call USDS. It used to be USTS. Um, and the, the idea behind this is if they can essentially create a sort of hermetically sealed U.S. unit that ByteDance can continue to own TikTok, but only people who are sort of approved to be in this U.S. unit will have access to U.S. user data, and they now say control over recommendation systems in the United States. Oh, how the algorithm says this is what you see. Right. They hoped that if this was a successful project, that they would then replicate it elsewhere, that they would do this in Europe, that they could do it in in other parts of the world where data protection is an issue for regulators. Lawmakers, for their part, did not seem to be buying into this plan on Thursday. Let me just start out by saying, Mr. Chu, that I don't find uh, what you suggested with Project Texas and this firewall uh, that's being suggested um, to whoever uh, will be will be acceptable to to me. In other words, um, you know, the, I still believe that the Beijing Communist government will still control and have the ability to influence what you do, and so. This idea, this Project Texas is is simply not acceptable. Well, I I think there are sort of two challenges with Project Texas. One is that if the people who are in the USDS entity still report into ByteDance on some level, if those people are determining whether they have jobs, their salaries, whether they get promoted, etc., then even if people at ByteDance don't have access to that data, If their subordinates do, there's sort of a structural problem with them saying, no, I can't give you, boss, this data that you asked me for. Um, And it it looks like TikTok and ByteDance have considered some other ways to address that, including making the fiduciary duty different than just like a straight reporting line. The other issue with Project Texas, I sort of alluded to before, TikTok was built as one of many... ByteDance apps. It was built on ByteDance's sort of tech stack and built in ways that sent data all sorts of places all the time. And none of that is nefarious. It's just like the backend at Meta or the backend at Twitter or anywhere else. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of internal tools that send data from here to there to power this monetization tool or that analytics dashboard. And it's just like how the app and the company runs. And the challenge of identifying every place that private or protected user data is flowing and then make sure that every endpoint doesn't provide access to another part of the company that previously did have access to this data but now shouldn't is like really, really hard. And the the challenge of making sure you've got them all is, like, very scary. It's sort of like proving a negative. So even though Shochu is saying USDS employees would report to an independent board and, and there'd be a fiduciary duty to the U.S. government and all of this stuff, like, that might not stop the data cockroaches. Well, like, there there are two things. One is just, like, have you caught all of the little holes that the data cockroaches might go through. And like, theoretically, you can do that. It's just really hard because they're very conniving little cockroaches. But I think the other question is more structural. Like if ByteDance, the company that at the end of the day owns the USDS entity, 
has to comply with Chinese law and thus could theoretically be forced to turn over information. Is there a sort of intermediary structure, hermetic ceiling with different fiduciary duty or whatever else that you can come up with that stops ByteDance from being able to have access to that information and then turn it over to, to the Chinese government? And the fact that CFIUS has come to the point where they're demanding a, a sale seems like they've answered that question in the negative and said no. I think TikTok is still, despite this apparent demand from CFIUS, trying to make the case that the answer to that question can be yes. And that's sort of interesting to me in this moment. Who is Shochu trying to convince right now? Is he talking to Siphius by talking to Congress the way that I sometimes talk to my boyfriend by talking to my cat? Like, is that what's happening? I don't understand who he's trying to convince right now. Is it Siphius or is Siphius at a point where they are just not going to accept anything other than divestment? And if that's true, will talking to Congress even help? When we come back, would a TikTok ban violate the First Amendment? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Coming soon from Slate Podcasts. So, first it was Dade County. Voters in the Miami area repealed civil rights for gay people by a two-to-one margin. In the late 1970s, cities around the country began rolling back anti-discrimination laws that protected gay people. And then it was Wichita, St. Paul, Eugene. Successful campaigns against the gay community which shocked us all. A state senator from California watched the laws fall and saw an opportunity. Homosexuality is a most repulsive lifestyle. His name was John Briggs, and he wanted to deliver the anti-gay movement its biggest prize yet. California realized that they were coming for us. I'm Christina Cotarucci. This season on Slow Burn, we'll explore how a nationwide backlash against gays and lesbians led to a massive showdown in California. Now it's something called Proposition 6, the Briggs Initiative. It would call firing any teachers in California who practice homosexuality. Your life as you knew it would be destroyed. We've got to fight back. We can't let this happen in California. The Briggs Initiative would be the first statewide vote on gay rights. With so much at stake, young people became activists. We were all coming out all day long, every day. (laughs) And activists became leaders. My name is Harvey Milk, and I'm here to recruit you. Slow Burn, Season 9, Gays Against Briggs. Out May 22nd, wherever you listen. 
if we lose here, it'll be 50 years before we ever get back up again. Like the drag queens say, take out the earrings, sharpen the nails. There ain't no going back. TikTok has repeatedly said that, you know, if protecting national security is the objective, that divestment doesn't solve the problem. I'm not sure I totally understand where they're going with that. I'm not sure I totally understand where they're going with it either, because I think a lot of people think divestment is the only thing that will solve the problem. And TikTok is saying that it's not going to solve the problem. I think TikTok is talking about a different problem, which is the general porousness of data security in our country. And I would say I agree with them that like, All sorts of apps are collecting all sorts of information about us all the time. There are data brokers buying and selling them, potentially selling them to foreign governments. Like, all of that is really bad. And, like, the the data privacy standard in the United States is low. And if that is the case that Shochi wants to make, I am, like, really on board with that case. However, I'm not sure it addresses other questions about whether ByteDance owning TikTok creates a national security risk or not. He may make a really compelling argument for types of legislation that should happen in the United States, and that may not necessarily answer folks' questions about ByteDance and TikTok specifically. So where does all of this leave us? Because it it kind of puts the administration in a, a weird place. Like, The Biden administration took a long route to get there, but it sort of feels like they are where the Trump administration was. Yeah, it does feel that way. I think if if you look at the litigation between the Trump administration and TikTok in 2020, a couple things sort of jump out to me. And there were two sort of flavors of claims that TikTok was advancing. One was, was a First Amendment style claim. Um, and the other was a due process style claim. And the the First Amendment claim they were making was, you know, we, we we restrict speech all the time in this country, even though people often invoke the First Amendment to say that we can't restrict speech. But speech restrictions have to be as narrow as they can be. If the government has a strong interest in making sure, for example, that a national security risk is mitigated. They can do that, but they have to take the least restrictive means necessary in order to make sure that they've addressed the thing that they're trying to address. TikTok argued that that wasn't the case and that the government could have taken a a narrower set of measures than just saying, we're going to ban the whole app and that they should have done that. And because there were less restrictive means available, that they should have done that instead. Sort of the same argument came up in in due process, where TikTok was essentially just saying, this is arbitrary, the way that the Trump administration has gone about this. They did not consider alternatives. They did not consider sort of less restrictive action. They just went ahead without really considering all of their options and decided to ban us. And because they did so in a sort of arbitrary, unthoughtful way, the the way that they did it sort of violates our due process rights. And in both of those claims, the issue comes down to sort of whether the government tried really hard to avoid a ban. And Hmm. so we've seen like years now of the Biden administration negotiating with TikTok, working with TikTok, getting more information from TikTok. And I look at that as the Biden administration 
presumably, and like, I don't have access to all of Sophia's records, so I don't know what they're doing. But if I had to guess, I would say that they are making a meticulous record of understanding the issue with as detailed and granular an understanding as they possibly can, and then trying literally everything short of a ban. And if the Biden administration does try to force a sale and or ban, I bet TikTok will challenge that in court. And then that litigation will again sort of face questions about whether there were less restrictive means and whether the government considered them really, really seriously. And my guess is the Biden administration is going to say, okay, yeah, maybe the Trump administration did not do all the diligence that they should have done, but we did, and here is our record. But it still sounds like they could have a a free speech case. Yeah, I I think they could. Um, Obviously, banning TikTok would have massive effects on lots of people's speech. But it's not totally clear to me, unless we're talking about TikTok and ByteDance's speech themselves, um, that there are a lot of people who were able to speak who won't be able to speak now. They'll just have to speak in a different way. And I think that is different than shutting down sort of the only medium by which someone could communicate, if there if there are others. But we'll have to see. it. It's going to be a fascinating free speech case if, if it does come down the pike. One precedent for a forced sale is the case of Grindr the gay dating app. Grindr was started as an American company, then bought by a Chinese gaming company. After a four-year review, Cepheus said the Chinese company had to divest, and Grindr was sold to American tech investors who took the company public last year. But if something similar happens with TikTok, it's unclear what company could buy it, especially without raising antitrust questions with regulators. That is the question, because it would be so expensive that there probably aren't that many companies that have that amount of capital lying around. And then the ones that do, some of them probably would have immediate antitrust problems if Google or Meta tried to buy TikTok. I imagine there would be a pretty substantial antitrust inquiry there. There's another complication too, which is whether the Chinese government would allow ByteDance to sell TikTok's U.S. operations and what exactly that would look like. And the reason I bring that up is that in 2020, when Trump tried to force a sale, on the eve of that sale, the Chinese government tweaked their export regulations, and they did so in a way that would make it more difficult to sell essentially a recommendations algorithm. And if the Chinese government did that before, they could do such a thing again and theoretically make it very difficult for ByteDance actually to to make the sale that the U.S. government would be requiring them to make. There's this question of of political backlash. You know, all these creators have come out and said this would, this would you know, destroy our livelihoods, et cetera. Um, Gina Raimondo, the, the, the Commerce Secretary, said, said something similar. Maybe I'm just too cynical, but I got to say, I was like, I don't know, man. When I look at voting patterns, that demographic doesn't vote. I just think, and maybe this is me in my bubble, but like, I don't think 18 year olds, to the ones who do vote, they're not going to vote, like be one issue voters on somebody took away their memes. If there is a TikTok ban, it will probably be bipartisan. So there isn't one party that's like clearly at fault. But putting that aside, these kids are growing up in a world where they're access to reproductive health care is dramatically lessened. They are growing up in a world with, like, incredible climate disasters. 
they're not voting based on memes. Like give them a little more credit. These people, they may, they may be young, but they're not dumb. And so I would be surprised if a lot of young people voted against the Democrats, I guess is what people are saying they would do because the Democrats banned TikTok. The Republicans want to ban TikTok more. So like what, are they going to vote for them instead? I, I don't, I don't buy this political backlash argument. Honestly, I don't. I just, I give kids more credit than that. As you've alluded, ByteDance has a lot of apps. They have other apps here. Um, do, does does this mean that no Chinese app operating in the U.S. is safe? Safe from whom? I guess that's a good question. Safe, safe from a potential ban? I think if there is a TikTok ban that goes through, a lot of people will say, okay, if you're going to ban this one, it would be inconsistent not to ban that one too. And I think to the extent that I've talked to lawmakers about this um, and and sort of staffers and that kind of thing, people often say like, yes, and like they think that TikTok is a sort of immediate risk. And so they want to ban that first. And then they want to figure out what the framework should be for dealing with similarly situated apps. I understand how that can be frustrating for TikTok because they're just like being made an example of. Um, But if I were an app that was similar to TikTok and not under the microscope in the same way, I would be watching this really carefully because it's totally possible that whatever decision is made about TikTok could later come to affect me in a sort of codification of whatever the rationale would be for banning TikTok. Why is Congress and the administration so focused on the TikTok issue when, if they were to think about a a national data privacy law, something modeled on Europe or modeled on California, it would answer these questions, but also answer them for American companies. I applaud the lawmakers who are thinking about a national data privacy law. I think that would be a really good thing and could raise the standard, like you said, for the entire industry in the United States. And I think that would be net good for sure. When I have asked lawmakers this very question, they have largely said TikTok is really big. Yes, and. I'm thinking back on the amount of time you've spent reporting on this issue, but also the number of times TikTok said no one at ByteDance or no one in China could access this data, and they were not accurate, you know, as as your reporting has proven. And I just sort of wonder, like... What would have happened if they had owned up to this immediately? What would have happened if they had been straightforward from the jump? Yes, this is how it works. Like, would would we be in this position now? Would we be having this conversation? I think this is such an important question. And, and it's one that I think about a lot, too, because I think that TikTok and ByteDance have often been aspirational in their answers to questions about this stuff. They say what they are working on, like it's already happened, <laughs> And as do many tech companies, to be clear. As do many people. We all want to be the best versions of ourselves. This is understandable, right? For a while, I think they answered a slightly different question in that when people asked about data access, they answered about where data was. And data may have been stored in the United States, but if it was still accessible by people in China... And they answered that question by saying, oh, it's fine. The data's in the United States. I think some people ended up feeling misled by that kind of answer. And if TikTok had said from the beginning, 
we're working on this thing called Project Texas. We're really going to try to narrow how many people have access to this data and on what conditions they will and sort of what additional controls will be on, on those people and on that data. I think they would have stood a much better chance at, at negotiating something with the government that that would be closer to to what they want now. But I think, unfortunately, because they've been a little too aspirational in the way that they portray the current state of events, I think they really have lost a lot of people's trust um, and lost a lot of lawmakers' trust. And I think um, the Blumenthal-Moran letter gets at that a little bit. But really, there is probably a lesson in corporate comms here that just, like, being more open and more transparent earlier is better. Emily Baker-White, thank you for your dogged reporting on this and for coming on the show. Thanks so much. It's been fun. Emily Baker-White is a senior writer at Forbes covering technology. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell. Our show is edited by Shannon Palace. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of Audio for Slate. And TBD is part of the larger What Next family. We're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. All right, we will be back on Sunday with another episode. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Coming soon from Slate Podcasts. So first it was Dade County. Voters in the Miami area repealed civil rights for gay people by a two to one margin. In the late 1970s, cities around the country began rolling back anti-discrimination laws that protected gay people. And then it was Wichita, St. Paul, Eugene. Successful campaigns against the gay community, which shocked us all. A state senator from California watched the laws fall and saw an opportunity. Homosexuality is a most repulsive lifestyle. His name was John Briggs, and he wanted to deliver the anti-gay movement its biggest prize yet. California realized that they were coming for us. I'm Christina Cotarucci. This season on Slow Burn, we'll explore how a nationwide backlash against gays and lesbians led to a massive showdown in California. Now it's something called Proposition 6, the Briggs Initiative. It would call for firing any teachers in California who practice homosexuality. Your life as you knew it would be destroyed. We've got to fight back. We can't let this happen in California. The Briggs Initiative would be the first statewide vote on gay rights. Gay rights, now! Gay rights With so much at stake, young people became activists. We were all coming out all day long, every day. <laughs> and activists became leaders. My name is Harvey Milk, and I'm here to recruit you. Slow Burn, Season 9, Gays Against Briggs. 
Out May 22nd, wherever you listen. If we lose here, it'll be 50 years before we ever get back up again. Like the drag queens say, take out the earrings, sharpen the nails, there ain't no going back.